backroom politics. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political radio show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. From a split-screen edition, uh, we're all kind of scattered around the National Capital Region. I am broadcasting live from Capitol Hill, uh, joining us as they do every Tuesday on the line with us. He is the man that we know as the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy. Today, he is Mr. National Security, the man we know as Rear Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral, how you doing, sir? I, I'm I'm uh, hoping that I don't fold under the pressure. That's a hell of a moniker right there. So. I, I, I got to tell you something, man. Hey, you called it. That was just your call. <laughs> also joining us uh, from the National Capital Region, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce serving at last count four presidents. He is a longtime Senate staffer, longtime Washington insider. He's the man that we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Alan, how are you, sir? I'm well. I'm well, thanks. Oh, good, good. Hey, we have got a lot to talk about, but let us start with the big breaking news that has got everybody's attention. Uh, Breaking news coming out of Pyongyang in Washington this afternoon. The Washington Post reported that the U.S. Intelligence Committee has absolutely or has confirmed that the North Korean government has created and set up a miniaturized, nuclearized warhead that they could put on their medium and long-range missile capabilities. This following about a week ago when the U.S. government and the Pentagon confirmed that the North Koreans, in fact, had somewhat successfully tested what the Department of Defense calls an intercontinental ballistic missile, which many believe has the capability of hitting as far away as Chicago, which would give it about a 5,500 or 6,000-mile radius. This is a very, very disturbing turn of events in something that has escalated over the past four months and something that has been on the radar screen since November. Uh, Ken, I want to start with you, Admiral. Um, Just from the overarching news that's happening today, how dangerous is this situation and how dangerous is the North Korean Peninsula right now? Well, um, I, I think the best way to answer that question is, is, is dividing it up into two assumptions. So let's take the, the lesser assumption first. Let's assume that despite all of his saber rattling, Kim Jong-un is rational and not suicidal. Uh, what does that mean? That means that he will basically deploy this capability as a deterrent uh, to what he believes is a a planned attack by the U.S. and or its allies, uh, that he does not plan to use these weapons unless attacked uh, and would be willing to go through uh, the processes that all of the other nuclear-armed um, nations have, periodic inspections, treaties, uh, diplomacy, yada, yada, yada. And, and let's not forget that uh, he has wanted uh, to be in a position where he could demand a face-to-face meeting with U.S. representatives or even the U.S. president for quite some time now, and we've just kind of given him the stiff arm. Um, 
last week's events uh, with uh, Secretary of State Tillerson, um, having worked with uh, the UN ambassador to forge a um, um, a set of concessions that are going to be supported by by the, by Russia and interestingly China for the very first time, um, I think signals the fact that okay the Chinese are kind of worried about this too. So that's assumption number one. Assumption number two is that he is irrational and somewhat suicidal. That is a very dangerous assumption. That means he's sitting there in his bedroom uh, with his finger on the trigger, uh, ready to unleash holy hell uh, on all around him. Uh, most, most, uh, most close to this would be South Korea. Uh, we've talked on this air before about the fact that even a limited uh, conventional exchange with, uh, between the North and the South would decimate South Korea as we know it and dramatically affect the economy of the world. Uh, for quite some time to come, one of our biggest trading al- uh, trading partners is Japan, uh, well within the range of uh, the the, uh, the regional ballistic missiles. Uh, he could threaten and attack them, and you know even with the the ability of of having only three or four uh, nuclear tip uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles, he could definitely reach out and touch uh, places as far uh, to his east as Chicago. And we all know that that would probably draw a, um, a response, uh, probably a comparative response from the United States, and the world as we know it would uh, would come to a screeching halt. Uh, uh, it's, Alan, it's, a, it's, it's a tough day. It's a very tough day. Alan Ward, you know, we, we, we talk about the rationality or the irrationality of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. Let's go back to the geopolitical side of this. Uh, you know, irrational or not irrational or rational. Some say he's crazy like a fox. Some say that this, you know, as Ken had pointed out, this could be the most irrational decision. That he's driving his country towards the brink of, of of annihilation. Does the irrationality and the rationality have to be mutually exclusive in this case? Well, <laughs> I, I think that that uh, we only know that after he decides to launch a missile in somebody's direction. Um, uh, until then, we only hope that he's not completely nuts. He shows every indication of being nuts. Um, he's now facing some global sanctions that are going to make it even more difficult for his crippled economy and largely destitute people to have anything close to the semblance of, of life with food and shelter and some degree of safety um, because uh, China uh, decided to join in on the sanctions that were approved uh, this week by the UN uh, Security Council. So, so it, it's it's in, it's entirely possible in 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 that aspect. Well, every time you see a a picture on television showing the possible range of the missile that they most recently launched, what they do is they shoot it very high up, and then it comes back down hundreds of miles, thousand miles away, but through through arithmetic beyond my brain. Um, people say, yeah, but if you if you have that kind of thrust that can get up to that height, then you aim it differently. You can reach, we estimate, six, seven thousand miles. 
Um, and then they always show how that used to reach the West Coast, the West Coast or Denver or possibly Chicago. It doesn't mean they have the ability to aim it, but that, that's a different question. If it can go that far, we have to be frightened. What intrigues me about the pictures on, the, on, on TV news are that they just show this narrow arc of how far that would go into the United States. What they need is a 360-degree arc to remind China, Russia, Japan, um, I- India, uh, all of South Asia, um, Southeast Asia, to remind them that, oh, we're also in range. And he's mad at America now, I guess, because he assumes that we are trying to uh, to cripple him and we have, have been a, a particularly harsh in talking about him. There's nobody talking nicely about him. We're just more, uh, more vocal about it. Um, and he is, he seems bound and determined to create this weapon. Well, it's a very toxic mix to give uh, a, a nuclear weapon to a crazy person. And until we see evidence to the contrary that he's not crazy, we have to assume that he is. He doesn't have this weapon yet, but he's made dramatic and frightening strides in that direction. Um, once he has it, what will he do with it? What kind of demand might he make? Or will he simply, on a whim, decide, I don't care, I'm going to launch? Um, it, it, one of the reasons that America and the West has fought nuclear proliferation so intently for decades is the fear that a weapon that could do massive destruction would fall into the hands of a madman, and our fear now is that we're on the verge of that happening. Well, let me ask, let me ask this question, because I think on this segment I want to focus on – there are obviously two options. I want to focus on the diplomatic option, and then we'll focus on the military option here in the next half hour. But looking at the diplomatic option, uh, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, Admiral Ken, has said that uh, – Sitting down with the North Korean foreign minister is on the table. Uh, they were recently together uh, in in the Manila in the Philippines at a regional security conference where a group of foreign ministers was there. That meeting did not occur between the North Korean foreign minister and Secretary Tillerson. But Admiral Ken is is Tillerson now kind of caught behind the eight ball? Does Kim Jong-un now hold the Trump card to be able to call the shots in this play. I don't think that it is possible to stiff arm him uh, in the manner that we've been able to do uh, so effectively for the last 12, 12, uh, 8 to 12 years or so. Uh, by, by putting this capability on the table, uh, he now demands a, a a higher level of respect uh, and regard. I prefer the word regard than respect. A higher level of regard that he may have gotten previously. Behind the eight ball, um, you know, I don't know that any American Secretary of State um, would be in any, dip, any any different situation than what Secretary Tillerson finds himself in today. I think one of the hypotheticals we 
we sh- we could easily imagine is if this announcement had come out from the Washington Post last Wednesday, would a meeting have quickly taken place between the North Korean pro- uh, foreign minister and Secretary Tillerson? My guess would be, yeah, it probably would have. But um, on the diplomatic front, um, I think that this creates a whole new set of uh, set of circumstances and possible scenarios. Uh, it will be very interesting to see how this plays out in the in the coming days and weeks. I think what's really interesting is the, are the comments that President Trump made just a short short while ago, promising um, um, all kinds of you know destructive capability, the likes of which the world have never seen. And I, I paraphrase slightly there. Fire, fire and fury. Fire yeah, and fire, fury, fury, like, fire, fury, and power it, that the world has never seen. It's difficult for me, having having watched a number of, of of dicey diplomatic discussions going back to my youth of watching what happened in Paris with North Vietnam, to see how language of that type helps the situation. But that's just me. Alan Moore, did did we in fact underestimate the North Koreans from a just from a technological standpoint, did we underestimate the engineering capabilities of the North Koreans that they could develop something like this this quickly with this much success and accuracy? I don't know. I don't. I don't know what our actual uh, uh, experts were assuming and guessing. I mean, we've been struggling with North Korea uh, going back to to President Clinton. Uh, who at one point had an agreement that the North Koreans would not pursue a nuclear weapon, and then we knew they did, and then we didn't know what to do about it. And we've been trying to figure that out ever since because we have so little leverage on a leader of a country that is so removed from the, the, the rest of the world in communications, in information, um, in living standards, uh, they relied extremely heavily on China, who, for its own uh, reasons, decided it was better to trade with Korea than to pressure North Korea and possibly trigger a mass movement of people from North Korea across the 800-mile border that it has with China. China is has got to be asking the question. I mean, we it, it's not so much were, did we underestimate. I don't know if we underestimated it or not. We probably didn't think they were going to be this far this soon, but we knew they were moving and making progress because we've been observing them for a long time. The problem for us is not so much underestimating their capacity, but figuring out something meaningful to do about it, figuring out some way to stop them. And with with China unwilling all this time to join us in putting, until until this week, putting more pressure on them. They, they did, uh, in, in fairness to China, some months ago agree to uh, reduce their purchases of coal from Korea, and now I think they've agreed to stop altogether. <laughs> Which shuts I off. Think, uh, I think. Uh, Admiral Kim, I, go ahead. Yeah, so, no, Alan, go Admiral ahead. Admiral Kim, go ahead. Yeah, it, it just it, it it we we cannot 
figure out how to – we don't have an enormous amount of leverage because they're willing to live, you know, in an in a 1800s type of world. Um, well, the North Koreans, and, the North and, Koreans Alan, the North Koreans don't know any different. Well, they, they, they are far removed from the world in communications, uh, as I said, in modern technology and in, in economic development. The, they've thrown up some big buildings, some of which I understand are, are shells that don't have anything inside them just to, to, to make it look like uh, uh, they're advancing. They do not have the wherewithal economically to do that, even without devoting so many millions of dollars into the development of of nuclear weapons and delivery mechanisms um so we're having to speed up our efforts to try to look at all the different options none of which well can can be done conveniently quickly safely all of which pose enormous risks particularly to the neighbors and most of all to south korea I don't think it's too hard to uh, – going back to your, your question, Justin, as to uh, did, did, did anyone expect them to come this far this fast? Um, one thing I'll say is that um, having done a number of exercises on the Korean Peninsula when I was still in uniform, um, the, the op plan that discusses the defense of South Korea from an attack from the north is constantly under works. And so – uh, and I can tell you that the uh, um, the scenario uh, that we're uh, discussing today uh, has been discussed at the highest levels of uh, the National Command Authority, not just today, but in, in the, the in the uh, in the days and weeks leading up to today. That's the first thing. Wow. I want to follow with that. Oh, go ahead. I'm sec- sorry, Admiral. Go ahead. Sec- second thing. Second thing is that uh, it is not too difficult to imagine that the North Koreans had some help. Uh, there's there's long been a um, uh, a relationship between Iran and the North Koreans. Uh, there's been a long relationship between China and the North Koreans, and uh, and you know just like any other or uh, any other country, uh, there may not have been official uh, high, uh, ties to uh, helping these guys out. There's plenty of expertise right next to the border that runs 900 miles, like you pointed out that people can walk across and, 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 and uh, give a wink and a nod to at the same time. So again, I, I think, you know, most of us who've been, who, who've been to the Korean peninsula have been anticipating this moment for, for quite some time. Uh, I remember several years ago, I think in the, in the early nineties when the, when Kim Jong-il was still in power and he started lobbing artillery shells across the border, the South Koreans were so incensed uh, it took everything in the Clinton administration and then subsequently the Bush administration to keep the South from going north. I think we might have missed our opportunity there, guys. We do. Well, and Admiral Ken, let me let me ask this question: you, when when we talk about the diplomatic ends to try and fix this situation with North Korea, uh, over the weekend the Security Council in the UN passed uh, stricter sanctions against North Korea which China bought into, uh, which China had the veto authority, did not, in, did not execute that authority. Uh, it is strong language coming out of U.S. U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. Uh, that combined with 
the strong language or the, the strong language coming out of the White House today, that can bind with the kind of uh, hands-off approach in the UN Security Council, the Chinese. Uh, is there mounting pressure on Beijing to get them to not only enforce and make sure they're not violating the sanctions, but to get additional pressure on Pyongyang. Well, so I think, quite frankly, Beijing is looking at the same map that Alan was describing just a short while ago. That you know, and if you go back and you, you pull up CNN.com and you look at that map, it's you know everything to the left of the line is colored in red, and thing to the light of, to the right of that line is 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 more clear. Well, it's very clear that China, most of China, is inside that red, that the uh, on the on the left side of that line. So they are clearly within. But Pyongyang, yeah, but Admiral, hold on, uh, Admiral, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. So it is clear that Pyongyang, uh, that that Beijing, is within the missile engagement envelope of anything that these guys might want to throw at them. So what that means, from a diplomatic perspective, uh, China is in more of a dicey situation today. Than they were before, because interestingly, okay, let, let's say you cut off, they cut off coal, they cut off food, uh, and and uh, Kim Jong Un goes from being um, homicidal to suicidal. Uh, who who can he reach out and touch first? The Chinese, and they would be the yeah, first one. Yeah, but he's one. not going to. But, but I, I have to believe that even Kim Jong Un is not going to bite the hand that feeds him. In Again, this case, the hand being China. Again, you, you, you missed the, the operative words in that last sentence. If the Chinese decide, if the Chinese decide to really go full force, I mean, go, go on fully on board with this, with the with the UN resolutions, and tamp down and 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 uh, and, and follow these concessions, um, then quite frankly, the, the the hand that feeding them is basically not as big as it was the day before, and he might have a, a negative reaction to that. Is, is, well, going off of Ken's point, Alan, is, is Beijing caught between a rock and a hard space after today's announcement? They've been caught between a rock and a hard place for years. They don't like being in this position, but, but as, as, as Ken has so accurately pointed out, they have to be worried. Look, we're sitting here talking about, is this guy a, a total nutcase? And we kind of think he is. If he is... Then, then you no one is safe, and the closer you are to the crazy man, the great the greater risk that you have. Fine, he hates America. He would love to lob a weapon onto America and pay what pay whatever price he had to pay, perhaps. But if he's crazy enough to use one of these weapons on us, he's crazy enough to use it on anyone. And it's sort of like if there's there's a there's a just a crazy bully in town, and he's really ticked off at somebody that lives all the way on the other side of town. It's kind of hard to get over there. How do the neighbors feel about that guy? Because they know he's nuts, and they know he's armed. So uh, I, I think that that you know they're all they meaning China and Russia for that matter are paying attention to what they think his capabilities are. And as they see his capabilities expand, they worry. They have to worry. They have to pay attention. Um, I, well, I, I, I don't I, know. Who's... I, I like. I like to add one thing. So while the United States 
while the United States has chosen to, to not engage, engage Kim Jong-il or Kim Jong-un in person for the better part of the last 30-some years, the Chinese and the Russians have. They know probably better than we do right now because they've, in the words of uh, former President Bush uh, toward Vladimir Putin, they, they have looked in these, guys, in these people's eyes across the table, and I'm pretty sure they didn't see sunshine and happiness. So, yeah, I think they're probably very worried. But but here's here's the thing here's the thing that gets me and 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 again you know we're, the the there's a fine line between crazy and crazy like a fox I mean this guy has literally put himself on the global stage as a as a nuclear power now possibly and given himself status out of out of nothing coming from the dark ages to being a nuclear power in the span of maybe 18 months leads me to believe that, you know, insane or not, this guy has got some sort of political agenda saying, you're going to take me seriously. And here's why. Well, first of all, let's, let's make it clear. This is not in a span of 18 months. This is in a span of 30 plus years. He's been working on this and, no, but the and making no, steady progress. Yeah, but Alan, you have to admit, though, the advancements that we've seen in their launch capabilities, their launch vehicles, and now this report coming out today, the past 18 years, as we believe, has been in the dark ages. Well, so, so there's no denying that, that, that they have made some, some significant big-time progress in recent years, but their first nuclear weapon was exploded Ken will know but years and years ago they've been fooling around with with missile technology for a long time and you start finally succeeding at stuff and then you then you expand the scope you expand the scale and maybe you learn some secrets from either uh, Pakistani scientists who sell it to you or Iranian scientists who share it with you I, you know, who knows who, Look, Alan, uh, who, who, who the allies are. I, I hear what you're saying, but he, he hears, he, he, I hear what you're saying, but, and Admiral Ken, tell me if, if I am out in the deepest parts of the Pacific on this. When you see, you know, their first underground explosion happened about uh, four and a half, five years ago, that, that, that the DOD and the intel community kind of said, yeah, it's a thing. You go from four to four and a half years ago, you go from just an underground explosion that may or may not have been nuclearized to something that they exploded underground that had the potential to be nuclearized. And then you go from that to a miniaturized nuclear warhead. When you talk about their vehicle functionality, these guys had basically what was a glorified bottle rocket and turned it into something that the Department of Defense now classifies as an intercontinental ballistic missile. And that launch span, that launch vehicle span only happened within the past 18 to 24 months. That leads me to believe that, one, I think we are underestimating their engineering capability and their engineering and desire to have this kind of capability. But two, I think that we might have gotten so cocky as to say they'll never have something like this. And we kind of pushed them aside as we looked at other problem areas in the world. Is or that three or three? They or, got a yeah. lot of help. They got a lot of help. 
and when you've got when you've got a regime that would rather spend its resources on building a nuclear weapon than feed their own people, so you've got desire, you've got resources, and you've got support, uh, uh, intellectual support versus economic support. You can do anything. Wow, and you know, well, so and, right yeah, now, let's not remember, let's not let's let's not forget that in those those ancient days of transition of the the the, the, the end of the Trump presidency, um, it was widely reported that that uh, President Obama said to uh, to newly elected President Trump, um, President-elect Trump. The one I worry about the most is North Korea. They're the ones that keep me awake at night. Um, and uh, so I, I don't know what we knew and when, but we've been worrying about this and paying attention to it for a very long time. And now the day of reckoning, which, you know, gets predicted at years, year and a half, two years. I don't, I don't know where we are on that time frame. It keeps getting shorter though, by the, uh, the, the public reports by the experts. And, and, but as Ken has also said, we've been, we've, we've been, we've been studying and thinking and practicing on how, what our response would be, what some of our responses could be for a long time. That doesn't mean that we've figured out anything that doesn't face massive risks and massive loss of life. Here's the problem. Here's the problem I have with that, though, Alan, is that when we look at this, there's an almost bipolar aspect to the way that we've looked at South Korea. We've gone and we've done doing exercises with the South Korean defense forces and the regional defense forces through our relationship with Japan, the ANZUS alliance, uh, the, the agreement we have with Seoul and the South Korean government. We've done those exercises, and the military is fully prepared on how to look at many, many scenarios in that. At the same time, we've taken the bipolar aspect of saying, you know what, that's adorable. You guys are so cute trying to take your bottle rockets and becoming a really big, 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 big guy on the block. And, 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 and this got by us. This literally got by I, us. I, I, just, I, just, I just don't agree with you. You know, you're well, nice boys, little good little boys. What are you, what are you talking about? Do I. I don't agree with that either. No, no, no. We're, we're, no, no. When we Justin, say, look, Justin, you guys, you're, making, you're making no sense, and you're not sounding very smart, so you might want to shift a little bit. <laughs> no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, no. The point I'm trying to help you here, Justin. I'm trying to help you. No, 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 no. Alan, what I'm trying to get at is, is we have pushed North Korea to the side. We've kicked that can down the road for years. We've looked at it. We've done exercises. But the North Korean government has literally taken – what we thought was a marginalized nuclear program and turned it into what we have today in the reports we're hearing out of DOD, that is a big deal and a big miscalculation of intelligence. That is a big miscalculation on the region and foreign policy and, and how we should have handled this. We should have been handling this years ago, and we I haven't. Think, I think I can be honest with you, Justin. I'll be honest with you at the risk of – a great risk. I think the only people that really are truly surprised by this, I guess, this event today is the news media, CNN, Fox News, whatever, 
and maybe maybe some of the inner inner circle of the Trump the Trump uh, administration. But I can tell you that the um, the concept of having to deal with the nuclear armed North Korea was has been something that people have been thinking about for a long time. And um, and granted, I will agree. I will go so far as to agree with you that the options that we have of dealing with that were as limited then as the uh, as the concept was when it it first started being talked about. I mean, short of basically, um, well, I don't know, uh, regime change. Um, I don't know how you would have been able to make make the, make make any any real difference there. And and quite frankly, or or the other option is to basically do do the Israeli thing and take out their facilities. The problem with that is they were smart and they buried them deep inside the mountains. So unless you've got a munition uh, that's capable of taking out an entire mountain, that that option is not available to you either. Oh, by the way, that munition is called a nuclear weapon. So um, again, I think, like I said before, I disagree that no one that no one saw this coming or we got surprised by it. But I, but I would agree that the list of things that we could do about it are as limited now as they were eight or ten years ago. And let me ask you this question, Admiral Ken. If we've known about this possibility and we've done nothing to try that. and – Didn't say that. Don't say that? I know. I didn't say that. Go ahead. No, no. What, what I'm saying is we literally have had the opportunity. The six-party talks did not work. The any sort of dialogue has not worked. We've put so much faith into Beijing that they can help rectify this situation. That has been a disastrous failure. It, it just seems that this has just been a series of miscalculations and bad judgment calls. There is no reason why we should be dealing with a nuclearized North Korea, and it's, so it's happened under my, our my, nose. My, my response, my response to that would be something along the lines of the less you know about something, the simpler it must be. And um, I, I can tell you that the, the, a full range, a full range of, of, um, of options has been discussed. And I would probably venture to say some of them have even been attempted. You'll never know about any of those until uh, it may show up on Mike Rogers' TV show 15 to 20 years from now. But um, – uh, again, I think, like I said before, you know, this has been a very complex problem. Uh, I think that um, it, it is, it is, it got a little bit more from from the perspective of what the world knows. It got a little bit more complex today. Um, it has been uh, a thorn in the side of presidents dating back to uh, dating back to to uh, maybe Reagan, and um, and now it just the, the thorn just got a little bit more prickly. So I think rather than I think rather than going back and 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 second guessing or naysaying the efforts that have gone into um, to 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 get this situation and those people under control, I think that we need to look ahead with the fact that okay we tried this we tried that let's try something we haven't tried and that means direct engagement. I think if we missed an opportunity to do anything it was like I said back in the 90s before they. When they were lobbing shells into South Korea, not not letting the South Koreans go north, and then two, short of that, maybe when they started pushing to have face-to-face conversations with us, maybe that was the time to do it. You know, President President Bush chose not to, President Obama chose not to, President Trump has chosen not to up until now. 
uh, and maybe maybe that's not the right answer. I don't know. But uh, I just got doing the I same thing, say, doing the same thing, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result is called insanity. I well, I just got to say that I'm not the only one that, that feels this way. Max Baucus, the former ambassador to China and former senator uh, uh, from uh, Montana, was saying the same thing earlier, saying that we we as a country have been naive slightly foolish and very cocky on the way that we've dealt with North Korea. And I tend to agree. I tend to agree with the ambassador, but that's, that's just my opinion. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the possible military options that might be available to president Trump, the department of defense. What does secretary Mattis put in front of the president and what could be a very, very big game change in the region and globally. This is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio from the national capital region of your of Washington, D.C. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us.
backroom politics. And we're back here live in the National Capital Region of Washington, D.C. This is Backroom Politics, live from, live from Washington, D.C. Sorry about that. Autoplay on Facebook is a bad thing. We're going to continue our coverage on the situation coming out of Pyongyang. Uh, it was announced earlier that the Defense Intelligence Agency and the, and the intelligence community here in the United States uh, has declared, according to a report out of the Washington Post, that North Korea has in fact has created a miniaturized nuclear warhead capable of being mounted onto their medium and long range missiles, uh, which now, according to some estimates, could put cities like Chicago, Seattle, Minneapolis, Denver inside an arc uh, of reach within their ICBM capabilities. Uh, Earlier, we were talking about uh, some of the diplomatic possibilities, uh, whereas though the president out of bed during his vacation in Bedminster uh, came out and said that According to the AP, quote, if uh, North Korea continues to threaten the United States, it could face fire and fury that the world has not seen before. So if that is the case, there's got to be possible military actions here. Admiral Ken Carradine, uh, how dangerous are military actions, whether it's defensive, preemptive, how how big of a problem does the Pentagon have right now? Well, the problem is big in that um that we are we are playing with, 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 with fire here. I mean so uh, we've talked before on this air about the fact and, and even just in the first segment that even a conventional exchange, just you know, regular munitions, um, would 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 decimate South Korea as we know it. Uh, when you think about the fact that the North not only has conventional munitions, they've got chemical and biological uh, weapons, uh, and now uh, apparently the ability to put a nuke on the tip of a missile. Um, whatever you do from a military perspective has got to be good enough to contain any attack that they would want to make uh, based on um, um, based on uh, those, those, those options. I don't know how you can get that done. I think it'd be really tough. I mean, and then secondly, um, you know, we're, we're looking at a situation where um, it's not just South Korea that would be impacted by um, military actions. I have to believe that they would very rapidly want to reach out and touch Japan. Um, and, uh, and then we've got a really big problem then. Um, so, uh, you know, whether they, you know, whether, whether the intelligence reports are accurate or not, that they've got the capability of, of, of uh, reaching the United States with a nuclear tip missile. Um, I, I tend to want to believe those. Um, so again, whatever we do from a military perspective, uh, would have to be of a nature that we could contain all those threats simultaneously. Uh, I don't know of any capability that we have that's like that. Um, I think defensively, uh, we've already had a, a, a show of force 
with the THAAD uh, missile interception uh, of about a week and a half ago, showing that we've got the ability to shoot down um, some of their their um, their, their missile-based munitions. Um, but um, do we have enough of that capability deployed? Uh, someone on, on TV this morning described it perfectly. Hitting a, an ICBM with another, with another missile is like hitting a bullet with a bullet. It's really tough to do. And so um, do we have that capability locked down yet? Is it 100%? No. Uh, that means that if he's got more than five or six, even if we got 50% of them, three are going to get through. So this creates, you know, alluding to the to the to, to your comments in the first part of of the of the uh, of the session today, um, this is a fairly intractable problem. This is tough, and the real question goes back to the comments that I made at the beginning of the segment: Is this guy uh, homicidal or is he suicidal? If he's homicidal, you can possibly work with somebody like that. If he's suicidal, then the ability to work with him tends to fall off dramatically. But Admiral Ken, this has got to be a fearful situation. Like you said, uh, even the Japanese Defense Ministry, we uh, can how to fight that will be released on Tuesday, where it said, "quote North Korea has achieved the miniaturization of nuclear weapons to develop warheads." Of the estimates coming out of the region's intelligence community, according to some news sources, uh, say they could have as many as 65 warheads yeah. in their arsenal. Yeah. Which the fact that they've got 65 does that does that number have any effect on whether we go preemptive or strategic and defensive? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it only exacerbates the situation that I just described. So when you're talking about six, yeah, okay, maybe we can sit back and you know and try and reason with this person. If we're talking 65, then you know a preemptive strike better be damn good and damn comprehensive, and not leave anything standing. And there's no way to really guarantee that. And 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 by doing that, and by doing that, you have just now set a precedent in the world. Or a, a hopefully a limited nuclear weapons exchange. I mean, granted, we were the first, we've been the only company country to drop a nuclear a nuke in war, but that wasn't an exchange. That was you know that was that was a strike. That was a preemptive strike. A strike a strike looks a whole lot different than an exchange. Right, right. Uh, Alan Moore, with with that information coming out of the Japanese Defense Ministry, uh, is, is this is this a situation where uh, we're going to have to really rely on the intelligence of our regional partners there, or do we have to now bump up our intelligence capabilities to try and get the human intelligence coming out of there to really get our arms wrapped around what the true ground game is? I, I don't know that we have the capacity to amp up our own um, uh, human intelligence. Um, it, it, in an odd way, though, this this may be driving us uh, closer to China. Um, they're the ones we the, the, the South Koreans and the Chinese are the two countries that we have to rely on the most. They have the most in common. They've got they've got long established relationships, cultural, family, um, language. Um, and having said that, our inform the information that we that we have obviously seems to to have lots of holes in it. Um, 
So uh, it, I'm guessing that we're going to, that we are already and will continue to be spending a lot of time with the, with the Chinese or even more time with the Chinese and the South Koreans uh, and the Japanese uh, on, on, all of, on all of these questions. Um, you know, I wanted to say one thing about something Ken said earlier because I was intrigued by it when he talked about what the South Koreans wanted to do back in, I think he said, the early 90s. And, and we said, no, 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 no. And I think that it, it was during that time that we actually, that the Clinton administration got some agreements with North Korea that, that did put us to sleep for a while. And and that and Ken said, you know, maybe it was a mistake at the time not to just say to the South Koreans, have at it. We'll back you up. These people are nuts. And sometime down the road, something absolutely horrible could happen. Now, at the time, us doing that would have made no sense. It's just not how we operate. And it's so hard to see into the future and say, you know, if, if somebody had said, here's why we need to do it. Because in 25 years, these guys are going to have nuclear weapons and the capability to deliver them to uh, America as well as allies in the region. And they would have said, you are friggin' nuts. That is not a basis for making policy. And But looking back on it, as Ken said, you know, given the situation we're in now, we don't know how this plays out, but... It it, it 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 could and none of the options are are, are, are any good um, uh, that we that, that that we can see unless something happens and and uh, fate intervenes or or the, the, the this this apparently nuts nutty guy has, has got some some grand plan to become uh, a member of the League of <laughs> the, the the League of Nations as it were um, and thought that this would be a good way to do it. Um, it, it, it's uh, it's the kind of thing that that woulda coulda shoulda, and uh, and and what is yeah, but, but what does that yeah, tell us Alan, about other? How, what does that tell Alan, us about I, other places in the world? Yeah, but here's here's the problem that we have though, is China does not want conflict on the peninsula. It they get no benefit at the at the same time. That, you know, there's been recent with the new government regime in Seoul, there has been some innuendo put out of the South Korean central government that they want to establish a dialogue and talks with the North Koreans. The Chinese don't want a unified Korea again, because if that happens, they become an economic behemoth, not unlike what Germany and what West Germany and East Germany became after that unification. They then China then becomes the marginalized economic power in the region. They've no, got, no, 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 no. No, what do you mean, China doesn't ever. China doesn't become a marginalized economic power because of the united Korea. Oh my God! The, the, just the size and scale and scope make make that uh, an impossibility and 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 an absurdity. He doesn't particularly want a unified Korea because he he likes the buffer between the, the, China likes the buffer between itself and the in the West, or it can live with the buffer. It of, keeps us busy. Of North Korea. It keeps but, us but, busy. But, yeah, absolutely. But but as they watch the capacity, the capabilities of the North Koreans expand, 
and look at how the rest of the world doesn't really know what to do about it and has limited options uh, that, that, that wouldn't cause massive loss of life, um, they, they don't want a conflagration on their border. They don't want nuclear weapons used in North Korea any more than they want them used but, by but North Korea. Also, but China also does not want to see a unified Korea again. What? Why? If that's what it took to, to, to denuclearize North Korea, China would have some interest. The thing is, that's not what Kim Jong-un, uh, Jong-un is, is seeking unless, unless he's in charge. Well, he's an economic cripple, and South Korea is an economic powerhouse. Um, it, it, it's not it, – it, it, East Germany didn't take over the West. West Germany took over took the over East, East, absorbed it. It was, it was massively complicated and expensive, and it worked out. But – but that's I don't see that's on the table. But that's <laughs> there, there are many worse things that China is now looking at than a than a reunited uh, Korea. It's just a reunited Korea seems like that's not in the cards in our lifetimes. Um, the challenge is how do you deal with a madman who's got a nuclear weapon and uh, is close to having a capability of delivering that weapon? It, to, to distant to distant shores. Well, um, I mean, one, one could say that we we dealt with a madman in Stalin when he established nuclear capability. Well, what, what we what we concluded and how things worked out, uh, perhaps against the odds, is that there was rationality at the at the upper levels of Russia once they finally had weaponized this stuff, um, and. Uh, and once Stalin was out of the picture, because uh, who knows what he, what he might or might not have done, um, it, 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 it wasn't hard to forget what had happened in Japan, um, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So you look at that, and you know what the U.S. is capable of, and you don't necessarily want to invite that onto Moscow. Um, so, and I think the same uh, model is being applied here. Say that well, again, Ken? That's right. I said I think the same models are being applied here. What, what, what do you mean by and the same models? That there's rationale surrounding that, that the Kim Jong Un that would prevent him from arbitrarily yeah. launching? Yeah, the the, the 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 hope and the assumption right now, and they're going to try to deal with him as a rational actor versus an irrational actor, despite his despite the words that he's uttered. Because if you go back to your point, Justin, you go back to the times of Joseph Stalin, he used to shake his fist and. You know, make uh, obscene gestures toward the uh, toward the West, and um, but um, they, they, the uh, the the state of the Soviet Union matured to the point where they un- and to Alan's point where they understood what they had and how how it needed to be um, uh, looked after. I think right now the hope that everyone has is that that model can be applied to North Korea because if it can't, because if it can't. The unthinkable is – I mean the, the alternative is, is relatively unthinkable. It's bad, very bad, is it, very bad. Is a preemptive strike off the table, do you think, Admiral? Uh, taking the, the president at his word, nothing is off the table. Does, it, does a preemptive strike here make sense in the traditional um, sense? I'll go back to the, to, the, to the comment I made a little while ago. 
you have a nation, a nation that not only has a nuclear weapon, they also have conventional, biological, and uh, and chemical. And so, if you're going to basically strike a nation like that, you have to make sure that whatever you do is comprehensive enough to keep that compartmentalized. I don't know of an attack strategy that would be able to guarantee that, even at levels of 75 and 80 percent. Just don't know it. Is, is the problem here, Alan, more that that what Kim Jong Un has basically done is now put a gun to the region's head? He's holding the entire region <laughs> hostage. Well, <laughs> who knows? Um, he's 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 made everybody he's making everybody really nervous. Uh, I, I will I will remind us that that you know this and this is not trying to be Pollyannish about it. The the report that they have a miniaturized warhead that can fit inside its missiles, uh, which is an important threshold of technolo- technological development, it is it, it it is not yet at the point of a knowing we can we can shoot the missiles exactly where we want them to, and B, that we can make this miniature weapon explode when and where we want it to. But, but it's all part of this path that he's been pursuing for a long time and making a lot of progress in. These are the, the conclusion in a, in, a, in a confidential report that we get to hear about now because somebody has leaked it is that we believe that they now have a weapon that will fit inside the missile. Um, right. And that's a big deal. And uh, that is that 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 doesn't mean they could sh- they, they could they could launch a, a, a missile tomorrow and explode it over San Francisco. It's just a step along that journey, it, as it, as concluded by the confidential assessment of U.S. intelligence officials. Um, and this, and, I'm and guessing they're way, right. I, I'm not saying they're way, not right, but. No, but Alan, this is also intelligence that has been supported by the Japanese Defense Ministry, apparently, and according to and according to North Korea, apparently the North Korean Defense Ministry is concluding the same thing. Wait, the, the who? The which Defense Ministry? You uh, said the, the North South Korean. Korean? I'm sorry, the South Korean Defense you Ministry. The South, oh yeah, yeah. The South Korean so, Defense Ministry. The so Japanese I'm, I'm guessing Ministry. I'm I'm guessing they're all looking at the same data. That that yeah. um, that the that the sources of this information are multiple. Some some are uh, satellite. Some are human. Um, and and you you add all of this stuff together, and this is what you conclude. Um, and I'm not saying you should just assume that that it's wrong. Um, I'm saying that uh, it's. It's an assessment, um, and and there are still a few steps, uh, some important technological challenges to get from um, having a weapon that fits into a, a a missile that will go a long way, and having having the missile get to where you want it to go, and having the the weapon explode when it gets there. Well, that doesn't mean that we, it just means we don't know where they are on those last pieces but they're farther along than we guessed they would be in weaponizing uh their their nuclear capacity apparently 
and 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 Alan, I mean, I understand your your thought and and agree. You're not being Pollyannish about it. I mean, there are other factors that they have here. They don't have a sophisticated navigational system. They would basically, if they threw one up, it would basically be the equivalent of the most dangerous Scud missile going back to the yep. Gulf War of Desert Storm. It would be like throwing a Scud missile with a nuclear warhead on it. Uh, and just seeing where it fell. That I agree. They don't have a sophisticated... But what scares me, and what the the intelligence and the defense community is, the level of rapid advancement that we're now finding out about it, if they've done it over the past three years, we missed that boat. We should have known about that earlier. And, And I understand the hermitage that it is North Korea, but this should be a wake-up call to say, you know, they, if in fact the intelligence estimates are true that they have upwards of 65 warheads capable, that they do have an ICBM, if, if they are going that fast and we're finding out about this that quickly, the issue is, well, then how long will it take them to get a good navigation system or a stabilization system on their new ICBM toy? All of this is stuff that we've got to get our hands around. The question is, do we go proactive and preemptive? Do we go from a defense standpoint? Do we try and let the diplomatic efforts, which have not worked heretofore since even trying to go back to the Clinton administration, it just seems that, one, there's no good answer here that's going to be completely painless. I mean, Alan, I'll go to you on this question. Does the global community say, okay, we've got another nuclear player, bring him to the table, put him in the corner at the uh, far end of the table, and let's talk to him? Well, I, you know, I, <laughs> I think that, that, that we they, their first nuclear weapon was exploded a dozen years ago. So they've had a nuclear they've had a nuclear weapon for a do, for more than a dozen years. They didn't have the ability to launch it in space long distances, but they presumably could have been, put it in a ship and uh, and sailed to different places and 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 conceivably uh, have have blown it up. Um, so it triggered it. So. So we have been trying to talk to them for uh, a long time. We, we did spend a lot of time, if my memory serves, trying to get them to live up to the agreements that they made with, during the, the Clinton administration, which they just basically ignored, and we probably lost more time, partly because we weren't sure what else to do. And as Ken pointed out, the, the, we, 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 we held back the, the South Koreans who thought, we need to go now. It's not going to get better. And and uh, and we didn't. Um, and uh, and and now we're dealing. But it's not just we. We is everybody. We is the world. We is the neighborhood. We we is uh, civilization. We, and, yeah, but we. But we. And, is, and we I, is, I don't know. I don't know. It, all I'm saying is it. It. it, it, it their capacities are considerably more advanced than we thought, but they have been a nuclear armed nation for more than a a nuclear capable nation for more than a dozen years. Yes. We want to talk to them, but, but they don't want to talk to us and the Chinese, we don't know what the, 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 they're talking to the Chinese about, but probably not nearly as much as we wish they were talking to the Chinese about. 
I, I just think that we've kicked this can down the road and we got played, quite frankly. This is something that never should have occurred. This is something that, uh, you know, if, if, if we knew about it and we just kicked the can down the road or just put it to the side to deal with other issues, that's our fault. Uh, the fact that Obama tells Trump that you may be the president that has to deal with the North Korea question is another issue. Uh, that says that, you know, everybody's been kind of hands-off. Not only us, when we talk about... No, I don't think... Wait a minute. I don't don't think that's what Obama said to Trump. You might be the president who has to deal with this. It's, this is the one that keeps me awake at night. This is one of your greatest risks. This is a major problem. Not, oh, yeah, watch out. This could come down, crashing down on you. This is crashing down. You need to be aware of it. You need to put it up at the top of your priority list. This is a very big deal. Uh, okay, that, that's fine. But but here's the thing is, when you say, Alan, that we, you know, we is, and I agree with you, we are the global community. We all got played on this. China played us. China got played by Pyongyang. Whether I it think, was I, I, Kim Jong-un or Kim Jong-il is irrelevant. It just seems that Kim Jong, you know, the Kim family has played everybody globally on this i i think if if anybody quote got played here it probably was the chinese not us and um and i i I, and i don't know that for sure that's just pure conjecture on my part uh using the word played i think in the context that you mean it um i don't think that any u.s president has has taken the north koreans uh uh anything else but seriously uh, and again, you know, like the comments I made earlier, I think uh, you know all the all the possibilities that uh, that were at play here have been considered, and the 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 the, the calculated response um, that we could make, uh, none of them have had options that were um, that were good, that were usable, and uh, and I quite frankly, sitting here right now. Uh, can't come up with one either so um again i do think and i'm not sure whether we're going to talk about this later is is the uh, the president's uh, poll numbers and how this plays yeah, into we're gonna it. we're gonna go to break right now we're gonna talk okay. about that we're, we are going to talk about that and we're going to bring dan lipner into the fold he's going to join us in the next hour oh, anyway no. that, yeah i know that being said this is <laughs> Backroom Politics, live from the National Capital Region in Washington, D.C. We will be back in three minutes. Uh, Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us.
We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. So thanks for doing that in stereo for us. <laughs> this is this is uh, appreciate it. And this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio from the National Capital Region, Washington D.C. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, Admiral Ken Carradine, uh, the Honorable Alan Moore, and joining us for our second hour, he is the man that we know as Dan Lipner Esquire. Dan, how you doing, sir? I am doing well, and much like the poem on the Statue of Liberty, sometimes the best things come after the main show has started. Uh, okay, we'll deal with that later. Okay, <laughs> hey, um, he amuses himself. He amuses himself out there, guys. Anyway, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, along with all the Korea uh, issues that have been popping up in the headlines this afternoon, uh, the president has started – his 17-day telecommute from Bedminster, New Jersey, to the White House, uh, something that the president said is not a vacation. He is taking calls and taking meetings, and he's working very hard from his luxury confines of Bedminster. Uh, As such, he's having to reel over the fact that, A, his poll numbers, for lack of a better word, well, let me ask you, Alan, how would you classify the poll numbers? Just continuing to be continually disastrous. Would suck be a good word for that? <laughs> that would work, too. Okay, um, there we go. You know, here, 
He is so interesting to over the the, the trajectory of the time we've known him as a as a candidate because he he loved polls when he was a candidate because he would he was doing better than people thought and he would trumpet them and talk about them and brag about them and raise them and then um, when his after he, after he got elected against the odds and in con- contrary to some of the polls that by then he had turned on. Um, and turned out to be correct in, in terms of polls that predicted that he wouldn't make it. Um, then he started challenging polls um, uh, if he didn't like their outcome, and he's been he's been dumping on polls ever since as his popularity uh, and approval ratings and uh, assessments of his comp- competence uh, in 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 most areas that presidents have to deal with have continued to slide, including with Republicans. Um, well, let's go over, let's and, go over uh, some of these numbers. Well, Alan, let's go over some of these numbers real quick, uh, yeah. just so everybody's on the same sheet of music here. Um, on top issues, uh, according to CNN, in a poll that they conducted with, uh, with the poll organization SSR, SSRS, um, Trump, by a two to three margin, nearly half of this poll strongly disapprove of Trump's handling of his job, 47%, while just a quarter say that they, strong, they feel strongly positive about Trump's performance at 24%. Uh, basically, when it comes to the trust factor, 7 out of 10 people polled do not trust the message coming out of the White House. Alan, how devastating as a number is that as far as credibility of the head of government? Well, let me say this. It makes history. There's no, uh, no White House in modern history that has such little credibility in terms of the messaging that comes from the White House itself. That even the people who many of the people who approve of him don't believe the what, what they hear from the White House. Um, I don't know whether that means they believe his tweets because that that's at least coming from him um, from his backside usually. Um, and, and but but in terms of the rest of the world, the rest of the country, um, if. Every time you hear stuff out of the White House, you tend not to believe it. Um, you've got a major communications problem and credibility problem with your with your country and with your with with the world at large, your allies and your enemies. So regarding the this tweets, Alan, yeah, I mean regarding the tweets, uh, according to the CNN SSRS poll. Uh, 52% of Americans polled say that his tweets are not effective as a way for him to share his views on important issues. And this is the big one. 72% of Americans say that his tweets do not send the right message to other world leaders. Dan Lipner, that's got to be a disheartening situation, particularly for the folks over at Foggy Bottom and Secretary Tillerson. If Secretary Tillerson had anyone else working with him, I'm sure they would be deeply troubled. But as, as I understand, there's still a fair number of positions left to be filled over at State. 
Um, but that there are, a few, there are a few thousand people there who work for him, though. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know, I know. Uh, but I'm talking about the political appointees that ha- have. I know what you're talking about. No I'm just more, trying to okay, help you be more precise. Guys, enough with the rhetoric. <laughs> Keep going, Dan. <laughs> but that said, the everything that's going on with Trump's numbers, this is without any crisis going on at all. And that lack of trust from anyone who is with that you would include in, in the informed electorate, um, the inexplicable 38% that is still with Trump, I'll leave those be at the moment. When something happens, whether or not it's North Korea, whether or not it's an economic issue or something that is unforeseen, how does this White House get anyone to follow? That's the big question. And to some extent, it's borderline dangerous. I mean, this is, while I'm joking about it now, it, is, it could potentially not become a joking matter. But Admiral Ken, you know, when, when we look at these poll numbers, one of the big things that's troubling uh, the White House, and even uh, Kellyanne Conway pointed it out on the Sunday talk shows, is that his base, even though he's tweeting this morning that his base is growing and bigger than ever, the polls are showing that his base is falling apart. In fact, non-college-educated white males – Trump's approval rating with them, according to this poll, is now below 50 percent, something we haven't seen in the better part of a year and a half. So uh, I, I, I guess I'm flinching at the, uh, the, 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 the words falling apart. Uh, I would say that slipping. Um, I would say that they are still uh, behind him. Um, I think that there may be some pride tied into that. Um, because they were so fervently supportive of him uh, during uh, the campaign and for the first few months of the um, the presidency, I think if anything, this is this is um, if if it, for lack of a better way of putting it, has made me feel better because for a while there it was feeling like that at some point the truth didn't matter to anybody else except the very few people in this country. And it appears that even even the, the 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 president of the United States, who is a serial prevaricator, uh, can affect some sensibilities of uh, even his of, of even uh, the most vocal members of his core. I think I think though, uh, in the context of, of what's what's gone on today, uh, I think it's interesting that at this morning at the eight o'clock hour, uh, when uh, CNN and MSNBC and even Fox News was we're talking about these polls people were were posing the hypothetical well gosh if if 75% of the country doesn't believe anything that comes out of his mouth what's going to happen when there's a, a major crisis and within an hour and a half holy cow look at what we got here and i guess that's a lesson be careful what you wish for because you might just get it but i think that given everything that's gone on given the the state of those polls the the trump administration has squandered and I used a capital S on that, squandered uh, what credibility they had with the American people. And I think the thing that makes me more anxious than anything else is that I simply and – I, and I tweeted this this morning when they said that there's 75 percent of the people that didn't believe in what he says. I counted myself among them. What do we do now? Because this is a real big deal, and this is, this is an issue, 
and we really need to know that the president and the nas- and the rest of the national security leadership is on top of this. And there's doubt there's there's doubt into what they what they what they're going to say. Well, Alan Moore, when when we look at the numbers as far as Republicans, he's slipping in the Republican support base, but he's still above 70 percent Republicans say that they would vote for him again and that they support his presidency. I didn't remember that it was still up at 70. I, I, that number has been slipping, um, but but. I, I'm I, I'm kind of amazed uh, uh, that that the number is as high as it is. I thought it was it's in the in the in the lower 60s, but anyway, it doesn't matter. It, it's like what what are what are those people drinking? What are they reading? And then I get stuff from uh, that I'll that I'll see sometimes from from high school friends of mine in Southern California who will circulate little statements about how no president in the history uh, of the republic has been treated as unfairly as this guy. Even the Republicans are turning on him, not giving him a chance, not listening to him, fake news 24-7. And I read this stuff and I think, what are they looking at? What are they thinking? Are they, we're, we're paying attention to different things. We're interpreting what we think and see and read very, very differently. Um, and I'm not saying everybody should agree with me, but it, I, I find it, you know, troubling as it needs to be for this White House that their overall approval ratings are down in the, in the, down in the low 30s. Um, uh, I, I have, have trouble understanding how the, there are still true believers out there who will defend the things he has said, the things he has done, the, the nonsense that he has promised, the, the, the lack of delivery of anything, the undercutting that he has done of his own people, his cabinet members, of Republicans in the Senate and the, and the House. And then occasionally he'll, he'll turn his attention to, <laughs> to somebody like Senator Blumenthal um, uh, from, from Connecticut um, and it, it it is just invective, and it it's obvious that among a circle of people, a slice of America, they want that invective. It's not all Republicans. There's some Democrats that want it. There's some resentment out there that even in the face of really stupid, dumb, exaggerated things um, – that they still believe in him. And, and, and let me say one word in, 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 uh, on behalf of Dan, because he was talking about Tillerson. Tillerson has been a failure. So let me make that clear. He's got a whole department there. He has not, as Dan pointed out, uh, uh, put a very high priority on bringing people in at, at, at senior positions. I, it's Partly it's his fault. It's partly the White House's fault. Uh, there's problem. There might be a little bit of slowdown in, in the Senate, but not much. It's, so, so we've got a weak link at the State Department, which is not irrelevant when it comes to how the rest of the world uh, is seeing uh, well, this president. Back, let's get back. Let's get back to the, to these numbers because you know one of the things I want to go to Dan Lipner on this. If you look at you know as Alan pointed out. You know, between 65 and 70 percent of of Republicans still support Donald Trump as head of party and president. 
uh, it to defend the president, according to his stats, uh, the economy is doing better than it ever has. Uh, the stock market is seeing record highs even yet again today. Uh, he, the president has claimed that he's created a million jobs uh, over the course of his short tenure, uh, and he cites deals with Toyota, Mazda, uh, Fox Corp, you name it. Um, does he have a point there? No. Uh, as far as the jobs and creation and the stock market, all that was baked into the mix that whoever came into office was going to, barring something disastrous or some insane policy change, that was going to happen anyway. Any of the four of us, if we were sworn in, we would have had to say these same things happening. You, so um, you, let me just jump in here real quick, Dan. You're telling me that if we had sworn in Captain Kangaroo, that it would have been the same economic boost that we've seen over the past eight months. For, for this short window of time, yes. I mean, the, the, the American economy is a behemoth. It doesn't turn overnight. So things have to happen. And, and as Alan has pointed out and as we've talked about, Trump hasn't done much as far as policy. I would ask any of those folks that, and I have friends like this as well, that Alan was referencing that were saying, you know, Trump hasn't been treated so unfairly. Show me the health care plan, the tax plan, the infrastructure plan. Show me any of that stuff that originated out of the White House, and I will gladly give it an airing. But thus far, there has been little to nothing that has originated out of the White House other than the president's nonsense tweets. So there's not much the White House has to show for what it's done. However, and this is where I'm going to disagree with Alan, and that partially explains the people that are with him, the stuff that Trump has done for his now mean-spirited immigration efforts or anti-illegal immigration efforts, uh, going after people who, while they may be in the country illegally, have essentially lived their lives well uh, since they've been here, is a new sense of meanness that American immigration policy hasn't seen for a very long time. There is a portion of America that likes that. I'm not particularly fond of those people. I don't think anyone on the show is. However, there are people that take joy in, for no other reason than throwing and I'm using the air quotes here, those people out of this country. And I would argue that is the essence of the, the folks that are still with Trump. Well, if we're going to talk about sending people uh, who are here illegally back, then let's at least acknowledge that under the Obama administration, a couple of million people, million, were deported. This is not something no, no, I, new. I, I, I'm not I, saying this. You know, I, I'm sure that I'm, I don't remember you complaining when, when that was happening in the Obama administration about how horrible that is and how it undercuts America's values. Yes, President Trump has taken it to new, disgusting lengths. It's not new. It's a challenging problem for uh, Alan, uh, for but, America, for all American presidents. If I may, Alan, if I may. But yeah, go ahead, Admiral Ken. So uh, I think I think um, I, I have to disagree slightly with Dan as well. So uh, I think that President Trump 
because he's the person sitting in the chair when this economic progress is happening, will get the credit. Um, similarly speaking, um, Barack Obama was handed a reform national security apparatus that allowed us to apprehend and, uh, and take out Osama bin Laden on his watch, so he gets credit for that. Um, and and uh, Bill Clinton basically got credit for an economy that uh, that Ronald Reagan started. That's just the way it goes. Um, I think that um, the other thing that I would say too is, you know, the the Trump supporters are not all, uh, in the words of uh, Secretary Clinton, a uh, fit into a basket of deplorables. These are people who are who have been disaffected by what they, they believe they've been disaffected by the political process that has allowed the rich to get richer and the, the, the poor to get poor and the middle class to get left holding the bag. And they've got a legitimate gripe, although I think that the worst that I can say about them is they put their faith in someone who basically is faithless and does not return the, the same loyalty to them. He's in it for himself. But I, I, I have to I have to say I, I'm I'm a little I'm a little gun shy about saying negative things about uh, about the Trump supporters, other than the fact that they I think they put their faith in the wrong in the wrong person. Well, I mean, you know, if you look at what the what the Trump administration claims as successes, you know, going back, you were talking about border security uh, issues, uh, Customs and Border Protection is reporting that. In, in 2017 so far, there's been 414,200 and some odd uh, enforcement actions as compared to 690,000 in 2016 and 592,000 and change in 2015. So th- the progress is going up there. Um, if you look at you know the economy, if you look at the economy, Trump's going to get credit. When he was elected – the Dow closed that day at 18,250. It is now, as of right now, over 22,000. And that is a 3,600 point gain since his election. GDP has, has been growing at an annual rate of, uh, give it two, two and a half, 2.6%. Uh, and, you know, that was recovering from a 1.2%. During the uh, during the first quarter of 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 this uh, of this year, so there's a lot of things that you know. Depending on how you spin it, so Alan, I'll go to you. Is this a matter of Trump is doing himself damage by tweeting because he could spin this stuff successfully if he just stayed off of Twitter? Well, he. <laughs> He, as we all know, he, he's his own worst enemy when he when he tries to claim credit or cast blame because he's always exaggerating. Um, and and the 23 percent of the people believe what comes out uh, of of the White House, and that includes the tweets. Um, he, he, I think I think both Dan and 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 Ken have 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 acknowledged something that's very common in American life, and that is. If you're the guy in charge and good stuff happens, you get credit. And if bad stuff happens, you take blame. Sometimes you earn some of the credit and sometimes you earn some of the blame, but oftentimes it's simply a matter of inertia, as as they have talked about. The problem he creates for himself by trumpeting 
uh, no pun intended, uh, the great success of his administration in lowering unemployment rate. Remember, it wasn't that long ago that he poo-pooed all of the labor the, the labor statistics that they that they underreported and that the real unemployment rate was significantly higher because there's underemployment and there's people who've dropped out of the labor force. Now he loves those numbers. He loves them. Um, and he loves the fact that the stock market, there's some uh, irrational exuberance in, in Alan Greenspan's old phrase, uh, in, in the stock market. Again, mostly a result of things that were progressing and moving. About the only thing he has done that, that, that has affected investor mood is shown, uh, he, he sort of froze new regulations He's tried to undo some regulations in the environmental sector um, that are that, that that are being challenged in court, um, and he's got others uh, in his eye. So he's trying to reduce the regulatory state at some level, and that has, from from a from a straight big business standpoint, given you know is is a little bit of cause for encouragement. But at the, the, you, you, you factor that against his complete failure to date to get to, to, to appear to understand the legislative process, to be able to understand any, the details of any of the major issues that are floating out there, um, not least of all health care, tax, tax reform is coming, the debt ceiling, the spending bills, um, uh, even infrastructure for, for, for that matter, um, uh, he, I bet he'd, he'd have trouble explaining his new immigration policy, which is going nowhere. But, but uh, he he doesn't have the the know-how, the credibility. And I think that when things start to turn, the market's going to turn. It's at some point. It's it's have this long run up. So it'll it'll do a correction here. It'll drop a couple thousand points, drop 10% or thereabouts. And and then and then it'll be interesting to see what he says. But nobody, but Alan, Alan, nobody believes him. Alan, let me jump in real quickly because I want to touch on this. Because the, 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 when you look at what got Trump elected, I mean, you're talking about the lunch pail Republicans, the blue collar, forgotten about uh, hard workers in the Midwest and what – what many would call flyover country. Uh, this is the group that got this man elected. And when you start talking about the successes that he can tout, you know, the surging economy and jobs, well, guess what? He may have a point there. That's what's getting the attention. Do they care about, you know, how he handles the issue between Beijing and Taiwan? No. They care about. There are uh, 1.2 million jobs more since he came into office in January. There's growth in GDP. There's more manufacturing that, according to promises made, and those are, you know, that's just paper right now. But according to promises made, more manufacturing is coming back. And those were important to the people that elected Trump. Is he successful in corralling that information and focusing it that on that electorate band and just letting everybody else on each coast say, yeah, you know what? I don't need you. I've got middle America. 
He doesn't have middle America, though. The, 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 the problem with all of these jobs is they are all localized. So if you are if you're a, a, a location that is getting a new factory or that's got a, a, a large employer that's that's getting larger, you're feeling you're feeling good. And if you've got a 401k plan, a pension plan, or if your parents do and they're, they're they, they, they took such a huge hit in 2008 and if they didn't if they didn't sell everything and they're watching uh, the, the value of their, of their retirement assets go up, you're feeling better about things. Having said that, the, in consumer confidence is, is one of the interesting measures that, that went up after his election, um, uh, and it has moved downward in the, in, in the last uh, month and a half, two months. So all, all I'm saying is, look, he does what presidents do. They take credit yep. for the good stuff. Yep. They all do. There is no president who doesn't try to take take credit for uh, for uh, good news on the economy, and there is no president who doesn't doesn't try to lay off blame on somebody else when things don't move as well as you want them to. Obama uh, inherited uh, a, a poor economy. There is no question. He continued to blame President Bush for that poor economy virtually throughout his administration when the it started to turn but it turned very slowly you you grab credit for the good you blame somebody else for the bad what will help the president trump do when things start to soften when they start to go bad when factories are gone when we know the answer or, 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 some factories. Know. yeah i mean who's he going to blame but his he he lacks he lacks credibility because he exaggerates even it's fine to take credit for the good. They all do it. He exaggerates Admiral the good. Admiral Ken, can can Donald Trump recover from this, or is he too far down that rabbit hole? Well, um, you know, I don't think so. I don't think I don't think President Trump uh, has has really shown um, any ability for a consistent period of time to understand why things that he things that he that he does are unacceptable and to stop doing them. He may go dark uh for a little while on the Twitter camp on the on the Twitter campaign. He may uh change a few words around in a speech or an impromptu press presser, but uh if you go back to him even, you know, Maybe just before when he announced he was running up until today, he can't help himself. It's pathological. I don't think that General Kelly is going to be there more than six months because General Kelly is going to say, you know what, I can't help you. You, you got to help yourself. So I don't think he's going to recover, no. Dan Lipner, is it possible? <clears throat> did we lose Dan? I guess we did. Huh. Uh, we did lose Dan. And uh, Alan, I mean, Alan Moore, question to you. Can Donald Trump recover from this? Well, re- recover from his, his, his rotten polls? I mean, it's... His it, credibility it, problem. He, he is, I mean, he, he, uh, he's the cat with nine lives, and, and uh, I don't know how many he's used up. Um, I thought he'd used up nine a long time ago. So maybe he's a cat with unlimited lives. It, the farther, the, 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 the deeper in you are and the more people 
mistrust anything you say, the longer it takes to, to regain trust. And the only way you do it is by changing your behavior. And he sh- shows little inclination for that, although, although there is some evidence that um, the new chief of staff has got him to agree to something <laughs> in terms of pre-clearing tweets. They're not stopping tweets, but 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 it you know we'll we'll eventually find out what if anything is actually happening here. But you know ah. he's agreed to to clear tweet apparently tweets relating to personnel matters, for example. And I don't know right. about personal personal attacks. And you know it's we know he's going to tweet, and 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 he right. is the president. It it it's it it's oddly it's the kind of behavior that could conceivably serve his interests. But well, we, the question, yeah. but the question he had, if he, if he had any discipline and, and, and create a little mechanism so that, that, that people could thoughtfully uh, modify, adjust and make him part, part of a, a larger message. I don't know that that's going to happen. Evident that our six month history is nope, never going to happen. But the question, I don't the know. Question, the question Admiral was, Ken. the question was, you know, if if is 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 his ability to get back, can he get back his credibility? So even as late as this morning, as late as this morning, he was tweeting about the fact that the mainstream media didn't do any coverage of the fact that his Secretary of State and the Secretary of the uh, General, uh, uh, his ambassador to the UN, got this um, this the sanctions put against North Korea, and all you had to do was just pick up. The, t- the TV remote and turn it on, and that's all you saw. He doesn't even tell the truth about the easy stuff. And and, and most Americans, they they might be a little uh, unplugged in in in, uh, in understanding all of the policy uh, challenges that are in front of in front of the national leadership, but they're not stupid. They know when they're being lied to, and they know when they're being lied to boldly. He boldly lies almost every day, and I don't think he's going to get his credibility back until he stops doing that. And he has shown, to Alan's point, no propensity to do that yet. All right, we've got 15 minutes left in the show, and there's, there's one thing I do want to talk about, and, and, and it seems odd that we're talking about it this early. Uh, there's a couple of things actually here. Number one, uh, I don't know if, if if anybody out there has heard, but the president about two weeks ago threatened to primary uh, Arizona Senator Jeff Flake uh, in his own party, by the way, primary him in a challenge for his upcoming run in 2018. Uh, it now appears that that threat was made reality this week when it was disclosed that uh, paperwork has been filed. I don't know if they've named the candidate, but there has been paperwork filed in Phoenix uh, for an apparent challenger to Jeff Flake on the Republican ticket. That being the case, Dan Lipner, is, is that does that hurt Jeff Flake or does this actually might help Jeff Flake in that part of Arizona? Or in Arizona as a whole, it's a statewide run. Uh, it still depends. It depends who shows up for the primary. Uh, it, if it's just the radical base, then it hurts Jeff Flake. If it's the more moderate 
folks that are out there, then it helps Jeff Flake. That's, it's a little too early to determine. Uh, however, it is worth noting, I can't imagine how this helps Trump with the party establishment who, who already views him suspiciously. And it's also worth noting that Donald Trump may actually have a primary opponent in 2020. So I was going to bring that up. I was going to bring that up. That dynamic as well. Since the vice president has his own pack that that's something that we haven't seen before. So yeah, I was going to say, Alan Moore, take attention to Alan Moore. How, how strange is that? And, and what kind of message does that send to uh, the Republican party establishment and the folks down at the RNC? Well, I, I think the message is you got to look at what what uh, the vice president's people have said. We have some success in raising money. We're raising some money. We are not preparing to run in 2020. We are preparing to support the president in everything he does in anticipation of him running again in 2020. Period. End of story. Now, it's interesting, but I wouldn't read too much into it at this point. John Kasich said that great numbers coming out of New Hampshire. What's that? Well, go ahead. So, <laughs> yeah. Wait, go ahead, go, Kevin. Go ahead. There's, a, there's a great poll. Uh, John, John Kasich had some great numbers coming out of New Hampshire. <laughs> was, yeah, New Hampshire, the state, the state that's a that's a that's a, a drug a, den. A drug a that's drug become den? a drug den. A um, drug den. You know, yeah. He, President Trump used to say, "Thank you, New Hampshire. You guys gave me my first victory. I love you." And then, in a in the conversation that, frankly, we should not know uh, the details of, he's he said to the president of Mexico, "Yeah, New Hampshire. Now there's a drug den for you." Yeah. And uh, the folks, the folks in New Hampshire took offense. What's the matter with them? Um, yeah, you can't you can't not believe him on the one hand and then be offended by what he says, right? Or can you? Maybe you can. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the, the guy called the White House a dump. I wish I had a dump like that. Good grief. Hey, um, I, I wanted to, it, 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 the idea of Jeff Flake being primaried, and this is also something that apparently he's threatening uh, Dean Heller out of Nevada with, um, comes at an awkward time that. Is the is the president living in a fantasy world to think that his coattails are that strong, or are his coattails so strong with his base that he could actually be dangerous to an incumbent? I'll start with you. So, so remember the. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know who you were asking the question. Admiral Ken. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I, I. I, you know, there, there's just so many fun responses I can make to that. I don't know what to do. Um, I think that given the current trajectory of uh, the support that he's got, I think that um, he would have to be living in a dream world to think that he's got coattails strong enough to, to, to allow him uh, to, to, to behave the way that he has previously. That said, how many times have we sat around that table uh, with and without alcohol in our hands, listening to things that President Trump has said before he was president and after, and thought, okay, yeah, this is going to do him in. So, I, you know, I, I again, I, I think the big news for me this week is that at least some of my fellow Americans uh, have an issue with being lied to by their president. 
Dan, Dan let me follow up on, on, on Nevada. Nevada's Go a ahead. different beast. Nevada actually produces Democrats. So a, a primary against Heller could end up hurting whoever the Republican nominee is. So that's kind of different math. So if the president wants to beat up on him, okay, by me as a Democrat, because it's going to make it easier for whoever his opponent is in the general. Well, I mean, the one thing that we do find in Nevada, though, is we do find a very strong independent voice out there, Dan. And it seems to me that, you know, depending on which way the wind might be blowing, uh, it could even help Heller in in a general by saying, look, he's willing to step up and step up to this bully. We kind of like that, and he's doing the right thing by Nevada. Why, you know, it, it seems like that could even help him, even with some conservative Democrats, some yellow dog Democrats. Well, that's now a harder call for Heller, though, because independents have broken, or one of the groups that's broken hardest away from Trump, that he actually won during the general. So Heller's got, got a narrow path to, to, to follow there. How far does he actually vote with Trump because then he's with him, or how far does he run away with him because then he's against him? That's nice cuts both ways. So it, it, it's much harder politics. Arizona, solidly red state and consistently producing Republicans at the statewide level. New Mexico is a different beast. So, I mean, it could conceivably help him, but I could also see it hurting him in a bunch of different ways. I could also see him not making it to the general if, he get, if Trump beats him up enough. Well, that, that makes sense. Hey, I do want to bring up one other story that broke here just within the past 48 hours. Um, the, the president retweeted a story out of Fox News that apparently had uh, inside the news report several pieces of classified information on it. And then it was not only put out there by Fox News, but the president retweeted it anyway. Uh, this at a time when the Department of Justice and the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, is going after leakers and making that a top priority in the Justice Department. Uh, does, does the fact that the Trump White House and the President himself is retweeting leaked classified information, is, does the hypocrisy get by anybody, or are we being too critical of the President, who is the ultimate declassifier? I'll start with you, Alan it's Moore. more problematic. So, so help me again here. What, what did what, what classified stuff did he retweet? So apparently, in a in a in a story that was put out by Fox News that had several cla- uh, uh, allegedly, according to CNN, NBC, and the AP, the story regarding the North Koreans and their sh- their their uh, uh, any their, cruise their missile. Sh- Anti-ship cruise missiles, thank you. That was the word I was looking for. Uh, Their anti-ship cruise missiles that were being deployed into the Sea of Japan had several pieces of classified information in it, and it was uh, made aware to DOD that this had happened. They were investigating it. Trump got a hold of it and retweeted it and broadcasted it out to everybody. Uh, that's, That's the situation. It was advised to him that it had classified information on it and we've not heard a comment back from the white house on that but at the same time that the attorney general is making leakers is the is the president a leaker is he 
a hypocrite or as president well, commander-in-chief? No, okay, so so once it's out, it's out. And and then it's in the public domain and when one concludes that it's that that it's potentially damaging to the republic, damaging to security, uh, damaging to confidentiality, or politically embarrassing, um, it, it you, you see all presidents jumping uh, in and and being super critical of leaks and trying to figure it out. President Obama uh, had eight or nine different cases that went pretty far in trying to root out leaks. So it's uh, it, 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 there, there's no there's no way that he is going to say, oh yeah, leaks, or there's good leaks and there's bad leaks. Admiral Ken, let me go to you. He wasn't even thinking about that. But I, I... Admiral Ken? Yeah, I'm here. Can yeah, let's go to you. Yeah, I, I, I believe Alan's having some audio difficulties. Um, uh, I, I think it would be safe to say that, uh, number one, uh, the president is the ultimate uh, declassification authority uh, in the U.S. government. That's the first thing. Two, does this smack of do as I say, but not as I do. Yeah, it does. Um, does it just further go to undermine that whole credibility issue? Yeah, I think it does. Um, I, you know, I, that's, that's the best I got for you. No. Oh, okay. Dan Lipner to you. What say you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually with, I'm right there with Ken on this one. If the department of justice even thought about opening a leak investigation on this, I just closed file right now because in essence the, the president cannot be a leaker he he is the declassifying authority it's entirely the classification exists entirely within the executive branch and the president with the stroke of his pen may or in this case the the touch of a send button can choose to declassify something and that's essentially what he did by confirming the story by sending it out as a tweet but is it so, not, does that? But the, but here's the thing about it: whether it's right or wrong, is he putting lives in danger by doing that? Who knows? At, for this particular item, I would guess probably not, because I'm going to guess satellites probably caught this. However, that's not to say with the irresponsible nature of this president that he couldn't. It's arguable that either a Saudi or Israeli intelligence agent got his life ended when the president shared with the Russians where some intelligence came from, from uh, in ISIS. So yeah, that kind of stuff is pretty damn dangerous. Right. Well, listen, we've got, uh, we've got a couple of minutes left on this show and uh, want to make a couple of announcements. Number one, uh, next week will be a best of show. I will be somewhere between uh, New York city and Bermuda in the middle of the Atlantic ocean. So we will not have connectivity to do the show remotely. Uh, so next week will be a best of show. And then uh, also in two weeks, we will be back live at the press club uh, for our regular event. With that, let's go around the horn. Uh, Alan Moore, what didn't we cover this week? Well, <laughs> we, we, we didn't cover the, the, the interesting menu of activity that the Congress will be returning to, returning to at the end of the month. And um, debt limit, tax reform, possibly, possibly, though unlikely, uh, one more effort to repeal and replace Obamacare. The president 
is trying to keep that one alive, and and uh, the, the the Senate is ready to move on at this point and maybe do a, a, a something bipartisan or give it a shot. Anyway, it, it's uh, it's going to be a messy fall, and we are not set up for major accomplishments because we've got a White House that uh, is not that engaged on the substance and uh, and an increasingly frustrated. Uh, uh, Re- Republican Congress that is increasingly showing right. a willingness to distance itself from the president. Right, Admiral Ken, what didn't what do did we miss this week? Um, I'm going to plug a, a TV show. Um, Fareed Zakaria uh, had a special on uh, last night and and last week called Why Trump Won. I think it's still available um, on uh, CNN on demand. Good, good. Uh, Good viewing, very, very instructive. Talk a lot about the fact that uh, the polls weren't wrong, just uh, they were being read incorrectly. Talks about uh, the, 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 uh, the Comey letter effect on uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign. And, um, includes our, good. and it includes our good friend John Allen. Yes, it number does. One best, and, number you, one you, you, New York you, Times you, bestselling you, author. You, you, you cut me off, dude. You, you, cut, ah. you cut me to the quick. So. But yeah, uh, why Trump won? Watch it. Uh, and Dan Lipner, what did we miss this week? Well, two things that are going to happen before our next show, both, both on August 21st, neither of which the president can claim credit for, nor screw up. The last solar eclipse in most of our lifetimes that will be viewable from North America on August 21st, that is also my birthday. Those things are both going to happen before our next show. So the world's going to ah. go dark on your birthday. That's appropriate. I like that. I like I that, got too. one more thing. Hold on. Oh, okay, go ahead, Alan Moore. Yeah, one more thing. On Saturday last, my daughter Jenny gave birth to her first child, a little boy named George Wiley. I'll leave out his last name. And uh, we are absolutely over the moon and thrilled uh, with this. Congratulations. So, Congratulations. Muscle time. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Congrats. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Congratulations to the family. Hey, one of the things we did not cover that we got our eye on that we're going to be keeping a very close eye on is the deteriorating situation in Venezuela. Uh, the President Maduro there has pretty much dissolved all authority and reinstituted a National Assembly that pretty much makes him a dictator. Over 200 lives have been lost. Venezuela is on the brink of civil war. Could be the biggest thing happening in our hemisphere to date. Anyway, that being said, on behalf of Alan Moore, Admiral Ken Carradine, Dan Lipner Esquire, I'm your moderator and host, Justin Russell. We'll be back in two weeks uh, when we bring back the best political talk show you've never heard of live on Blog Talk Radio. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, at Backroom Politics. You can follow us on our Facebook site, facebook.com slash backroompolitics. And you can also get us on your cell phone. Listen to us on either TuneIn Radio or uh, blogtalkradio.com slash backroompolitics will get us on your cell phone. Have a great week, America. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Backroom Politics.